Hello, welcome to Talking in Bed. I'm your host, Jen. So, as I predicted a little while ago, that if I started doing episodes where I had to, like, put effort in and, like, research and come up with ideas, I would, um, I would kind of slow down on putting out episodes and I wouldn't really get around to it and I was correct now I've had fun doing the episodes where I am looking into something or reading somebody's wikipedia page I do enjoy doing those episodes but they just um it's not so much the effort or the time it's the uh it's coming up with the ideas you know it's coming up with something that um, just seems interesting. And to be honest, the funny thing is that those episodes where I'm particularly reading about something, those have fewer listens than the ones where I'm just like rambling. Um... And, yeah, I don't, so I don't really, (laughs) I don't know how to interpret that, uh, that kind of information. Um, but, you know, I had a couple of different ideas, like, bouncing around in my head. You know, I thought, uh, one of the ideas that I had was, um, if fingerprints are really unique, because, when I look at my fingerprints, I think these don't look that special. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing. Like, the fingerprint is <clears throat> amazing because it kind of feels like there aren't, like, a lot of places on your body where you're really aware of, like, oh, that's where, like, I think of the fingertips almost like a seam, do you know what I mean? Like, they had to swirl, they, like, your genetics, the cells had to, like, swirl in order to close up. And, of course, your belly button is a seam. But everything else is, you know, it's very, it's seamless, isn't it? Like, the human body, it just doesn't have any places where... It's just all one unit, you know? (laughs) And um, I find that really, you know, really incredible. Now, I don't know if that's true. This is just my kind of thought that I have when I look at fingerprints, that they seem like they're a seam of some kind. I could be completely wrong. Um, And I kind of wonder if with the episode... I don't know, they just don't have as many listens. Anyway, uh, another thought that I had was how long have potato chips been around? Like, surely before, like, the 1950s, potato chips existed, right? But did you just have to make them yourself? That was just how you made potato chips? And then, like, you know, once, (laughs) once, like, the food industry kind of became what it is today, which is, 
I don't know. It's kind of a nightmare escape, isn't it? It's really hard to not indulge because it just, there is just an endless amount of indulgent food in the world, you know? It's really incredible. And so much of it comes in, you know, plastic and foil packaging and, you know, it's just, it's just terrible for the environment, isn't it? You know, one time I remember talking with a friend of mine about how <clears throat> if I thought about plastic trash found in nature or found in the ocean versus glass trash, I had a very different feeling about it, right? So glass trash, I don't view that as, um, you know, it can even be kind of nice. Like I thought about um, like a glass bottle in the ocean that uh, some plants are growing inside of and like some little fish can swim in and out of and use it as a little like protection or something. And that is totally different than like a McDonald's cup in the ocean, you know, even though there might be plants in it and fish could use it, little fish could use it as a protection. It just has a totally different feeling to it than even like a Coca-Cola glass bottle. And I mean, glass, of course, is naturally occurring. So, you know, I think that that adds to it in some way, like plastic obviously is not <clears throat> you know we had to make it and I, I think that styrofoam I don't really know what styrofoam is I, I think it's a kind of plastic though and um you know those of course do take a long time to break down clearly and glass Glass also takes a long time to break down. Like, you do find glass, you know, sea glass, and that's been worn away by the ocean, but that's kind of an accelerated um, process of breaking the glass down. If you've, you know, you can find glass bottles out in the woods from, like, the 1800s or something. You know, glass left in nature doesn't... You know, it's not like it rots like a piece of fruit and it's gone in a month, whatever. It does take some time for glass to break down. And, but somehow it still feels different to find a, a glass bottle versus a plastic Gatorade bottle in the woods. You know, you don't feel... <laughs> Uh, what I'm, you know, why is that? Why does that feel so different? Um, and I don't know, is that Googleable? I kind of want to try and Google that. <laughs> so the only, I Googled why is glass in the ocean less harmful than plastic because I really couldn't I can't think of how to phrase the question like <laughs> I can't ask Google why do I feel better 
about glass in nature than plastic that, I mean, I guess I could. You know, as I predicted, no kind of results that really targeted what I'm talking about, which is, you know, the, the, when I Googled the thing, why is a glass in the ocean less harmful than plastic, a, a Daily Mail article came up that was like, glass is actually worse for the environment than plastic. What they really meant is the production of glass is more like, it just it requires more energy than plastic. So, I mean, my God, that's not a great argument. <laughs> Um, but, uh, when I Googled, why do I feel better about glass in nature than plastic? You know, the only stuff that came up was like, this is why glass is better than plastic. And what I'm really getting at is that when you see plastic garbage in nature, it stands out, you know, partly because of the material it's made of, partly because of the colors are all obviously usually pretty garish and glass you know just based on color like tends to fit in better with nature so clear green brown you know it might have a label on it but like here you know if it's like a, a beer bottle or something um you know but I mean frankly if I see um let me think for a second. You know, if I'm thinking about I'm taking a walk and uh, I see, like, some trash on the side of the road, I, and and there's some, you know, eh, cups from a fast food place, um, a Snickers wrapper, and an empty beer bottle, I, I would kind of think of all of that as trash. Like, I wouldn't think of the, the glass beer bottle as not bothersome. I would be bothered by it being there. That would bother me. I guess I'm, I'm picturing, the picture in my head is, um, the ocean floor, and there's like a a coke bottle with like the wrapper like a glass coke bottle you know very like 1950s style with the wrapper gone and then I'm picturing like a McDonald's cup and I'm picturing how both of those would fit into the environment there and I don't feel the coke bottle is garbage in the same is pollutant garbage in the same way that the McDonald's cup is. Now, I don't know anything about the breakdown of a McDonald's cup. I don't know if it would release, you know, obviously there's dyes and there's dyes in the cup, right? To give it whatever purple or yellow color. And then, of course, there's some kind of a glossy, what would you call that? There, that must be a chemical of some kind that gives it that glossy look. Um, and that's not even mentioning the lid for the cup, you know, where it 
not even taking that into account. Just the paper cup. And that's paper, you know, that's not even plastic. But it just, <laughs> it feels so far from paper, you know, when you hold that cup. It just, I know it's paper. Okay, so I kind of just undermined my own ar argument with the paper bit, though, because technically that will break down. So let's take, like, a coffee cup, you know, a styrofoam coffee cup. Now, I know even less about styrofoam. I'm not even clear if it is actually plastic, but I know it takes a long time to break down. And I know that in, when I went to summer camp, when I was younger, I used to go to a farm camp in up, upstate New York, where I'm from. And that camp, sadly, has shut down. It is just shut down maybe, I want to say within the past two years, it closed down. And they had a whole farm there. They had a lovely little shop. Like, you know, they would make their own cheese and stuff. And, oh. So sad. I had such nice summers there. Um, and anyway, uh, so I, I used to go to this farm camp where my parents basically paid for me to work on a farm. I mean, that was basically it. But I loved it. And um, I remember them telling us that if you broke styrofoam, it released like I don't know, toxins or fumes that would break down the ozone layer because in the 90s, the hole in the ozone layer was kind of the big uh, environmental topic that was really like an important topic that was on everybody's mind. <clears throat> well, I don't know if it, they talked a lot about it to kids. I obviously clearly like... <laughs> The people in power did not take this seriously, you know. <laughs> and that's why, <laughs> that explains a lot of the, you know, environmental issues that we see these days. But anyway, um, so I, I always think of styrofoam, you know, from that day forward, I always had this, like, this grudge against styrofoam and just its existence I was kind of like why the fuck are we using this <laughs> I think that's what I thought I think I was like why in God's name are we using this if we know that it's bad why are we using it and um that would just be the beginning of many <laughs> questions that I would have about why people are doing particular things. Um, it's so funny to think back on that time because I really was very interested in nature and protecting the environment. When I was younger, you know, I didn't, um, there wasn't, there, there were movements, but, you know, nothing that, kids were involved in but a lot of you know tv programs geared toward kids they like there was captain planet which i don't know i kind of would watch that it was on in the morning before i went to school i don't i 
wasn't like a huge Captain Planet person. But, um, you know, just on like different like kids news shows or something. Why don't they have a kids news program? Do they still have those? Does anybody remember what was her name? Linda Ellerby? Linda Ellerby, I think, hosted a kids news show on Nickelodeon. And I wonder, I mean, I have very like scant memories of the of the show. But anyway. Um You know, I guess I'm thinking of glass garbage. When I picture it, I'm picturing older glass bottles. So, you know, mid-century or older. And at that point, it's not garbage, it's a collectible. (laughs) And that's true of a lot of things, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of stuff that back in the old days, it would have just been this like, piece of tin crap and now that it's rare to have those things it's collectible I remember I went into a uh an antique shop when I was must have been high school like a freshman in college or something and in the antique shop I found this old tin container it's like a circular box And it was by a Russian company, and I just was totally in love with this. I used it for years. I'm sure it's still somewhere in my parents' house. I kept jewelry in it. And it had, actually, it had like a butterfly on it or a moth or something. I actually, I hate butterflies and moths. I think they're really, they really, I've got a lot of problems with fluttery insects. And um, I really wanted this tin box and the guy at the store was like okay I'll sell it to you but you have to promise me you're going to take really good care of it which I think is a <laughs> I understand that he was and he certainly did impress upon me like to take care of it and I did and I really cherished that box but really it must still be at my parents house because when I've gone back and I've looked at it it has taken me some time to realize that it was just like a a candy container. Do you know, it wasn't like a special box. It was just had like, like suckers, like hard candies in it. And it's basically just garbage. It's just old garbage that, you know, looks, that is vintage now. And um, I think that, is that's part of the thing with you know if you were walking in the woods and you found a cardboard no oreo boxes aren't even cardboard you know if you found a container for oreos it's empty i'm sorry <laughs> you know just the the tray and the plastic around it and then nearby you found an old tin box that back in the day held I don't know matches something like that you know something whatever like this was just a thing that someone bought because they needed matches safety pins or whatever 
you would not, even if the fucking Oreo box was from 15, 20 years ago, okay, you would not feel the same about it as you would about the tin box. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that with its reusability, maybe that is part of it, but there is something about The material. Now, tin is naturally occurring, is it not? I mean, aluminum is naturally occurring. Here's my question. Where does it naturally occur? I know that aluminum... Do I know it? <laughs> I feel very confident that aluminum is on that table the periodic table. I feel very confident about that. I may be wrong, but I... Alu, isn't it? Now, <laughs> I don't know if tin and aluminum are the same thing. Uh, they kind of get talked about, like, somewhat interchangeably. <laughs> I feel like I'm showing... I'm having a lot of personal doubts right now. I'm just saying, tin is, I feel very strongly that it is a naturally occurring thing. I don't know where it naturally occurs. I, I feel like I should look this one up. All right, I'm glad I looked it up. Tin is a natural, tin, the sign is a S-N, S as in Sam, N as in Nancy is a naturally occurring metal obtained from ores such as cassiterite, SnO2. In nature, tin can combine with other elements to form inorganic as well as organo organotin compounds. There are some spelling mistakes in that uh, sentence, so <clears throat> I feel a little concerned about the source but anyway tin and its compounds can be found in air water and soil near the rocks mines and industries where it is present or used that makes sense okay so i think that when garbage when packaging this is really about packaging right when packaging is made from natural elements you have a really different feeling about whether it's garbage or not. It definitely, it, or me personally, it really gives me a different feeling. Let, let's, um, so something that's really common here in Germany is um, they sell beer in these, uh, these like plastic crates basically that have like, you know, it's one slot for each beer so that they don't bang against each other. They're made of plastic, but Germans are very, very, like, anal retentive, no surprise, about <laughs> returning their bottles for the, um, the deposit. The, they are fastidious deposit collectors. Um, 
it is really like it's a part of culture here is getting what they call pfand p-f-a-n-d pfand um and so you would never just like throw your beer bottles into the like recycling for the they don't even have like well uh, let me (laughs) you would never just like throw it away in like the non-deposit recycling you know or like any you wouldn't just throw it out for the collectors you couldn't even throw it out with your regular garbage technically they have locations where like even in our area which is very suburban they'll just have particular spots around neighborhoods where you can go to throw uh bottles that don't have deposit on them so like a wine bottle those typically don't have deposit um and you have to separate the bottles by color so they have three for non-deposit um glass they have three containers for clear green and brown glass (laughs) they are I mean, that is a really important thing to know about Germans is that Germans are meticulous about separating their trash. That's also like a really big part of culture when you get here. If you're planning on coming to Germany, you have to separate your trash. So if I get um, a letter from work, I get my invoices no not my invoices you know just like my monthly I don't get my check it's just direct deposit but it's just kind of like a summary I guess of what I need they send it in an envelope with a plastic window so the delivery guy can see my address which is written on the letter inside and when you throw out the envelope Now, not everybody does this. I personally like doing this part. (laughs) You have to open up the envelope entirely, peel out the plastic window. You put the window plastic, you know, just a little piece of plastic. You put that into the yellow trash with the other plastic garbage, and you put the rest of the envelope into the paper recycling. So anyway, you know, so um, I'm thinking of these beer crates, right, that are made of plastic. Now, they're not throwing the beer crates out. Those get used God knows how many times. Um, you know, when you return the box, they call it a box of beer. Um, you put all your bottles back into the box and you give them the box, the crate with the beer bottles in it. And, um, you know, eventually those, they surely break at times or they just get used up, you know, and then what do you do? You have to throw it out. It's garbage. Now picture if you had glass bottles that were in a wood crate and, you know, whatever you use some just make the same box that has like the separate the slots for each bottle of beer just do that with wood now I think the 
this comes down to like manpower, right? But surely you could make a a machine that could make a wood crate, for God's sake. If you can make one that makes a freaking plastic crate, then what's the problem, right? I don't know. <laughs> I think, and again, let's go out into the woods, or we'll go down to the bottom of the ocean. What makes you feel better seeing the wood crate there? Or the plastic crate. And I really think that it comes down to the material that's used. And it's not necessarily that it's that it's um, uh, biodegradable. Because even when it does come to glass, like, glass doesn't degrade that quickly, honestly. You know, you can, I think I said earlier, like, you can find glass from the 1800s in the woods, you know, and even when it comes to sea glass, which I know we, (laughs) I'm circling back around, um, it's not like sea glass is like a fragile little piece, it's like a big lump of glass, you know, and, um, I think wood clearly would break down faster than glass, but I really think that it has to do with not that it's biodegradable, but that the material is naturally occurring. There's something that feels m- more right to me in that case. It just, it just fits better in the picture in my head. It fits better than plastic packaging that also has these like really bright colors on it that don't that also don't like this don't reflect kind of something in nature not that I'm I know that there are a lot of flowers and animals that have these really amazing colors to them where you could find like (laughs) oreo packaging blue on a bird you know But somehow it just feels different, and I think it comes down to the packaging. And, um, (laughs) so circling all the way back around, that was one of the ideas that I had about something that I wanted to talk about. And, um, (laughs) oh, 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 I, that was about potato chips. That was about potato chips, right? Because I had wanted to, <laughs> well, it's so funny, I, I was curious if potato chips, like, existed in the, in the past, before we had plastic packaging, and that got me started on our, uh, the landscape of our food, even here in Germany, you know what I mean? You can eat, like, shit in Germany, too, trust me. Um... And, uh, I am still curious about potato chips, and I'd, I'd really like to Google that. I think I'll just read a little bit of the history of potato chips, because it's really not long. This is from the Wikipedia for potato chips. 
The, or, the earliest known recipe for something similar to today's potato to today's potato chips, that's a lot of T-O-T-O-T-O, <laughs> is in William Kitchener's book, The Cook's Oracle, published in 1817, which was a bestseller in the UK and the US. The 1822 edition's recipe for potatoes fried in slices or shavings reads, peel large potatoes Cut them in shavings, round and round, as you would peel a lemon. Dry them well in a clean cloth and fry them in lard or dripping. An 1825 British book about French cookery calls them pommes de terre frites, second recipe, I don't know what that means, and calls for thin slices of potato fried in clarified butter or goose dripping. Oh, there's some fancy potato chips they got going on. Sprinkled and salted with, uh, uh, sorry, drained and sprinkled with salt. Early recipes for potato chips in the U.S. are found in Mary Randolph's Virginia Housewife, 1824, and in N.K.M. Lee's Cook's Own Book, 1832, both of which explicitly cite Kitchener, who wrote that first recipe. Um... And then there's a Saratoga Springs legend, which I am tempted to read because Saratoga Springs is in New York, but it doesn't really relate to our topic. So they did exist. I'm more curious if, like, I don't know, in, like, the 40s or something, like, where housewives, if they were going to throw a party, would they, like, shave a bunch, you know, if you get, like, a mandolin... Not the instrument, but the cooking utensil. I think you can, like, slice up a potato and then just fry that. And I'm curious if that's something where housewives having to make, like, a lot of potato chips. That is, hmm, that's something to think about. Um, <clears throat> well, this was a real fun, uh, little dip back into just kind of improvising on things and and maybe that is something to for me to even do rather than necessarily looking up uh you know information beforehand or having like a really set topic of what I want to talk about rather I could just come up with a couple of topics that I are kind of rattling around in my head and talk about them and, you know, take a break that you guys don't even know I'm <laughs> taking if I didn't say anything and um, do research in the moment to kind of answer a question quickly and, um, you know, just play it by ear. I think in the past, I used to really feel like I... With this podcast, I used to really feel like I had to kind of record all in one go or like I couldn't, I didn't want to stop and look stuff up. I felt that would break up something, you know, I felt there was some like lack of integrity there. Like I really wanted to just speak from my mind on whatever topic and if I was going to wonder about something, then just wonder about it. And you can do both actually. <laughs> You can just wonder for a bit, 
And uh, if it takes you somewhere else, you know, I think I didn't want to, if a train of thought was going to take me into a new topic, I didn't want to disrupt that. But I, I think what's more important is that I don't make myself follow a really rigid um, set of rules. So on some episodes, it might be like this, where I do maybe a little in-episode Google to fact-check myself. Uh, other episodes, you know, like when it comes to the Jackie Robinson and the uh, George Washington Carver episodes, I really didn't um, figure out the answer to my question until I had read their entire Wikipedia pages. So a quick one, a quick Google would have given me an answer, but I really enjoyed going through their whole Wikipedia pages. And, um, you know, I just, I feel like, uh, there's still something to be found in just kind of, uh, digging through what's in my head, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm gonna wrap it up for today. I hope that you liked this episode. And, um, I... You know, maybe if I, now that I'm sort of <laughs> lifting restrictions from myself, maybe I'll record more frequently. I think I would like that, actually. Um, so have a lovely day, and I'll talk to you soon.